Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Views from the 573 Podcast. Happy Thursday, everybody. Hopefully, you're having a good day, and hopefully, and thankfully, you guys are tuning in to this show. We got a lot of NFL stuff to get to this week with Wildcard Weekend, the results of that, and we got some really fun divisional games coming up here on Saturday and Sunday, so we're going to be Talking about that, you know, we're going to be talking about a couple points of note with the offseason with a couple quarterbacks with uh, Tom Brady and Lamar Jackson and talk about where could they potentially land if they do decide to leave their current teams. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about potential options on the table for both of them. So we'll talk about the uh, those options a little bit later on down the road. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty much going to be a NFL heavy show for, uh, for this week with college football wrapped up. Uh, so we're really going to be hitting the NFL really hard here, uh, with some, some of the playoff stuff, the, some off season stuff. And of course, I mean, we'll get to the off season when it happens, but nothing like a couple fun speculative things with the off season to, uh, get the ball rolling and get us ready for all season full time. But that's pretty much what we're going to be tackling on the show this week. Uh, programming reminders of note, uh, entertainment. It looks like um, based on early conversations in the group chat, we're going to be doing that comic book movie draft that we've been talking about for a while now that it looks like within the next couple weeks or so that uh, we'll be getting together and taping that pod and hopefully having a lot of fun and with uh, with maybe a couple of us causing some chaos uh, for for two others in the draft. But uh, hopefully we'll uh, we'll get that sell down here in the next couple weeks or so and uh, get that out there for you all. Uh, kind of a little bit of a companion to the uh, superhero move, superhero uh, draft that we did uh, a while back. So kind of a little bit of a companion pod to go with that. If you if you want to make a day out of it and listen to both those back to back when we tape that, but keep that in mind. Um, subscribe, give us a rating, review, all that good stuff on the entertainment channel and on this channel, and go check us out. On Twitter at 573pods to give us a follow there. And I think that is all the programming notes that I have. Uh, of course, with uh, it, it, with something in regards to future pods, NBA stuff, you're going to be seeing some more of that. The trade deadline is coming up. It is earlier than I thought. February 9th, I believe. Right before the All-Star break. So... I'm going to try to see if me and Charles can get together sometime after the trade deadline and talk about some of the moves that were made on the trade deadline and talk about where we are in the league at the all-star break. So it should be a lot of fun. Uh, but to start off the pot on a, on a somber note, um, it, it was a real shock to everybody to, Wake up and saw. Wake up and see what had um, happened with, uh, of course, Georgia had their 
national championship celebration this past Saturday, uh, celebrating their back-to-back title over TCU and celebrating that on Saturday in Athens. And it really, again, it was a shock to wake up on Sunday morning and to see that um, there is a tragic accident involving a couple of people with the uh, with the Georgia football team with um, offensive lineman Devin Willox and uh, recruiting staffer Chandler LaCroix, um, who had passed away during a, a tragic car accident. And we know there are two others in the car that fortunately are still with us. Um, Wyatt McClendon suffered minor injuries, and I believe if memory serves right, he had just declared for the NFL draft on Saturday. And then you had another person that worked on the staff, Tory Bowles, who um, had suffered some serious injuries but was in a stable condition. Um, but it was a tragic accident that happened in the early hours of Sunday morning and was just devastating to wake up to. Um, coming off what should have been a, a joyous time to celebrate winning a national championship as a university and um, something like this, it, it it really hurts. And so we don't know a whole lot more about the, the, the details. And I imagine um, for families involved, I think it would be a little, it would be a comfort to know a little bit more, but um, just again, a, a tragic, accident to what should have been a a really fun way to celebrate a back-to-back championship and um you have this happen and so uh thoughts and prayers go out to the families and uh we'll hopefully have more details down the road and for the family's sake that they'll get a little bit more clarity so moving on from that as always with any of that type of stuff it it's hard to move on so we're gonna try to do the best we can and uh let's talk some nfl and uh let's talk about some wild card weekend games that went down on saturday and sunday we had five of them and including the monday night game uh on mlk day uh which is very rare to have an nfl game take place on mlk day a lot of discussion about whether that's a disadvantage for the Cowboys and them having a short schedule and playing on Sunday against the 49ers. But uh, they had a game on Monday. First time I can remember them having a game on MLK Day. Uh, Usually NBA does, NHL usually would, but uh, we had one here. But uh, let's start with the games on Saturday. And we started off with San Francisco in Seattle. And for the most part, this game, uh, if you look at the the final score, you're like, okay, this game wasn't even close. Well, surprisingly, the Seahawks were up at halftime, 17-16. They were giving the 49ers all they wanted in the first half. Putting up a good battle. Geno looked pretty good. Uh, DK looked pretty good. Seahawks defense. Did shot pretty well for the most part, but then that second half happened and 49ers blew the doors off them. 
uh, scoring 25 points in that second half to widen the gap. And the Seahawks scored a late touchdown to cut the deficit to 41-23. But uh, it was 41-17 with less than five minutes left in which you had the 49ers playmakers coming out to play. Um, Brock Purdy just is continuing this spectacular run that he's been on and goes 18-30, 332 yards and three touchdowns. McCaffrey had himself a game in which he caught a touchdown pass from Brock and had a good day running the ball, 15 carries, 119 yards. Uh, Elijah Mitchell had a, a couple good moments in this game for him. That's a nice running duo right there. Debo Samuel uh, had a huge 74-yard touchdown pass from Purdy and making stuff happen after the catch and finishes the day with six catches, 133 yards, and a touchdown. And the 49ers defense, they came to play in the second half, causing a lot of damage to Geno, uh, Kenneth Walker. Um, Seahawks are starting, are starting two tackles that are rookies. Uh, first time I believe that's happened at, for them to debut in the playoffs since 1982, where you had a left tackle and right tackle debuting as rookies. So really kind of rare air right there. But Seahawks... You know, they got a lot of young guys, a lot of good young guys. It's a really good young draft class that they got this past season. Headlined by Tariq Woolen, the outstanding corner, and Kenneth Walker. So, they're a little bit on the young side. They got a top five pick coming their way uh, in April where they can really add some more pieces. And they got a lot of other draft picks around the draft as well, and they got another first-rounder. Um, so Seahawks' future is looking bright. And Gino, what a revelation he's been this year. What a turnaround. Um, really happy to see him have this type of turnaround with uh, with the Seahawks and uh, leading them to the playoffs. Nobody had this on their bingo card for this year. And so tip of the hat to Gino and uh, what he and Pete Carroll and the rest of that team did. Again, those rookies, uh, they're only going to get better and better, even though they were already pretty good this year. So uh, Seahawks got a nice foundation to build upon in the NFC West in a division where you know what the 49ers are doing. Cardinals, they're, they're looking for a new head coach. They just hired a new GM, and Monty Ozenford from the Titans Looking for a new head coach. You got the Kyler stuff going on. Uh, Then you got the Rams. You you were worried whether McVay was going to leave and what's going to go on there next season. Now is Aaron Donald going to come back? Um, How healthy are the players that were hurt, like Cooper Cup, going to come back next year? Stafford, how they're going to build up the offensive line. So there's a little bit of a window here for the Seahawks if they can tackle this draft right and can knock it out the park back-to-back years where they got a little something to build on and you know you do wonder if if they're going to keep Geno I imagine I think probably probably has earned himself another year with Seahawks and see what they can do next year 
I do think quarterback is definitely in the cards within the next year or so. And, uh, you know, if they do knock those this draft class out the park and you got those two to build on, you can go out and get your guy, whether it's paying for him, trading for him, or drafting him. So I want to see. But 49ers, they are moving on to the divisional round, winning 41-23. to And, again, just completely dominating that second half against Seattle. So that was game number one. Game number two. Uh, I tuned out of this one, and I watched uh, everything, everywhere, all at once, which don't regret. Um, phenomenal film. And, yes, I did miss a historic comeback here um, in the meantime. But Jacksonville wins 31-30, to and nobody would have thought that would have happened. Um, Chargers let their foot off the gas pedal in that second half and gave up what should have been an easy victory to them moving on to the divisional round in which they would play the Chiefs. And they lose this one 31-30. We're up 27-0, to I believe, at one point and had a couple missed opportunities where the kicker, Cameron Dicker, missed. A couple missed opportunities for touchdowns that that probably cost them. Um, And listen, the defense for the Chargers created five turnovers. They picked off Lawrence four times. I think I saw four of them too. And if you're the Jaguars, um, you could not have written up a more disastrous start to the game at all uh, without this one started. Like, immediately from play one, um, just a complete disaster of epic proportions, and then you have a comeback of epic proportions like this happening. And something like this, you don't know whether to give credit to the Jags for making the comeback or say, well, you know, the Jaguars won it or the Chargers lost it. I think it can be a little bit of both. The Jaguars showed excellent resolve in coming back from the Horrible start they had. But also, the Chargers, again, let their foot off the gas pedal and let the Jaguars somehow get back in. And Trevor Lawrence came back from that horrific start, threw four touchdowns, looked pretty good. Ingram looked pretty good. ETN ran for over 100 yards. And Herbert did not make a lot of plays in that second half either. And so now you're starting to wonder if you're the Chargers heading to the offseason. Is Staley the guy? How much is Herbert the guy? Um, A lot of praise for Herbert. Does this performance diminish him and what people around the league think about him? Uh, Chargers fire their offensive coordinator and Joe Lombardi. So who do you try to move on to and try to help right the ship? I mean, it's not like they didn't put up a lot of points. They put up 30 points. They just let the, the... Jaguars find a way to somehow come back and win this one uh, with a late field goal. So you you do wonder if the Chargers probably should move on from Staley and maybe make a move after Sean Payton. But it looks like they're sticking with Staley in in the meantime. But, uh, you know, props to the Jaguars. Um, 
winning this one 31-30. And they got a date with Kansas City uh, this weekend. Second time they'll be playing the Chiefs this season at Arrowhead. So should be a fun little rematch here at Arrowhead for both of them. So those were our two games on Saturday. Let's move on to the games that happened Sunday. And quite honestly, besides the Monday night game, all these games were particularly thrilling and had its moments. Uh, Starting off with the first one we had, Buffalo taking on Miami. And I think what was expected to be not as close of a game as we all thought it would with Dolphins starting Skylar Thompson at quarterback. Not expecting too much from him. But uh, he, he kept the Dolphins in this somehow. But also, Josh Allen kept the Dolphins in this game somehow. Uh, Josh had a fumble in this game that was returned for a touchdown. Had a couple interceptions in this game. Uh, went 23-39, ran for, <laughs> threw for 352 and three touchdowns. But uh, three turnovers to go along with that. And uh, that was really, I think, the big uh, momentum shifter in keeping the Dolphins in this game somehow. And getting three turnovers, uh, especially getting that one fumble return for a touchdown, that was huge. And at one point, Miami was up, but Dolphins came back and fought them off and uh, ended up winning the game by three points, 34 to 31. And as for the Dolphins, um, obviously quarterback questions are rising about how healthy is Tua. Uh, we know he's coming back, um, but is there going to be an opportunity to maybe look at somebody like a Tom Brady? That's a little bit of a hint of a foreshadowing thing that we're going to be talking about later, but maybe there's a move to be made there. Or... Do you try to go and upgrade other where uh, in other places on the offense or on the defense? You know you got two excellent weapons in Hill and Waddle, and Cedric Wilson had a couple moments in this game. What about running back? Do you add a really big time running back? Maybe not the school of thought from Mike McDaniel, who comes from that 49ers uh, program, and they usually have a committee of running backs. So maybe. Not a huge change there uh, defensive-wise. Maybe adding another corner or something like that. But all eyes, I think, are going to be on uh, Tua and what happens there at QB for Miami. For Buffalo, yes, they move on. But for Buffalo, it's been a lot of the same stuff here. Josh Allen is pretty much this this entire Bills offense, uh, throwing-wise and running-wise. Not really a whole lot from the running game here from Buffalo, uh, which I know Buffalo's not out yet, but kind of makes you wonder if there's there needs to be a change there that really helped them get going there. Um, offensive line is just so-so. And you, you do have to wonder how much are you going to lean on Josh Allen heading into this game against Cincinnati. Now, for them, this is good. This is going to be a home game for them. So they'll have the advantage of the crowd on their side. But uh, you do have to wonder if it's going to come back and bite them in this weekend. But Buffalo, they do move on 
to round number two, move on to the divisional round, beating Miami. Next one up, we had an upset here, an upset I uh, think a lot of people were predicting what was going to happen. And sure enough, it happened. The Giants, the G-Men, winning 31-24. to You know, we've had a lot of fun in the group chat. And if you guys remember, this is going all the way back to the early days up in Cape, where Peter promptly predicted the Giants were going to win the Super Bowl. Well, they're a fourth of the way there, but it's progress. <laughs> it only took him a few years. But, uh, Dable, I mean, what else can you say about the job this guy has done? Should be the coach of the year after what he's done with this team, uh, what he's doing with Daniel Jones, and looking at how he's deploying him and Saquon and the, all the other offense. Like, they really don't have any weapons on the outside. Isaiah Hodgins was their leading receiver in this game. And then you have guys like Slayton and a couple other guys, but like there's really not one big time guy on the outside uh, for the Giants. And so seeing what Dayball has done with this team has been nothing short of remarkable. Uh, first playoff win in 11 years and had Daniel Jones looking really good. Now, granted, the Vikings defense is not all that great. But still, you can't overlook these stats. 24-35, 301 yards, two touchdowns, 17 carries, and 78 yards. So maybe you don't want your quarterback to be your leading rusher. Maybe you want it to be, uh, I don't know, this guy called Saquon Barkley. He's, he's not that bad, last I checked. But nonetheless, you get the win however you can get it, and they got it, winning 31-24. to And for the Vikings, you know, one-score games, they were really good, but again, the defense just comes back to bite them and not being so good. Kirk was all right. Dalvin Cook wasn't spectacular. Hawkinson was the leading receiver. And so you wonder what changes are coming from them, particularly probably reinforcements on the defensive side, at corner, maybe on the edge, help them out there. Maybe you have to look up. Elsewhere for another option besides Jefferson, maybe Thielen is done. But we'll have to see where the Vikings end up going. But the Giants, we know, they're not going anywhere. They're playing for another week. And they are going to Philadelphia, play the Eagles, in place they just played in the last week of the season. So a little bit of familiarity there. And... Speaking of a little bit of familiarity and not playing somebody you didn't play too long ago, nice segue. Baltimore and Cincinnati. They just played each other Sunday before. Um, and, you know, maybe you do want to try to avoid these types of situations, but nonetheless, it happened. Get over it. And Cincinnati and Baltimore playing no Lamar Jackson for the, for this one. And you do start to wonder, in this game, could Lamar have really made the impact here and won this game for Baltimore? Because Baltimore did a pretty good job of defending Joe Burrow and this team. Not a whole lot of deep shots for the Bengals. 
Burrow only threw for over 209 yards, threw for one touchdown, not a whole lot on the running game. And so props to the Bengals' um, defense for doing the same thing on the other side, and props to the Ravens' defense for really, you know, it's kind of like a classic AFC North matchup, getting each each other's face, really physical matchup. And that's what happened. And then, if Matt listens to this, I, I'm sorry, man. I, I, I got to bring this up. Uh, Sam Hubbard's 98-yard fumble return that was essentially a big-time game-changer and solidifying the Bengals' win and getting them up 24-17 to in that fourth quarter. And the Ravens are driving, they're driving. I think oh, they're about to take the lead here, and Huntley is going for a quarterback sneak, and think you know crosses the plane. Nope, fumbles the ball. Sam Hubbard returns it 98 yards, and if you all saw that play, and if you all listen to this podcast, you all know I probably had some PTSD watching this play go down because something happened to my favorite team in college, UT, like the in 2019. Alabama, Trayvon Diggs takes it back 100 yards for a touchdown, which Tennessee, I think, at the time could have made it a single-digit deficit. But, uh, nope, wasn't meant to be. So, uh, bad news for the Orange team in 2019, but good news for that this Orange team and the Bengals uh, scoring here on that play. And, you know, funny conversation in the group chat where, you know, I saw on Twitter, it's like Tennessee fans are, probably don't want to watch this play so many times. And Matt's like, well, wait, why does Tennessee fans not want to watch this? It's like, not that Tennessee, Matt. Matt's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> so but there's a lot of PTSD watching that play and reliving that moment that after this good season that UT's had, I've tried to burn out of my head, uh, but just came back to light. But the Bengals won on that play. Big time play from Sam Hubbard, who needed to go get and catch his breath on the sideline after uh, housing that. But uh, Bengals win twenty four to seventeen. We'll talk a little bit about the Ravens here and their potential offseason later on with Lamar, but it is a point of concern to think about uh, whether Lamar is going to stay or go and get a new contract or. If he's going to be on the open market or is he up for trade, will the Ravens franchise him? We'll have to see. Uh, but the Bengals, they move on to the divisional round with a date with Buffalo. And then Monday night, we had Dallas going to Tampa Bay to face the GOAT and Tom Brady. And we'll talk a little bit more about Brady here in a minute. But let's talk about the Cowboys. Really good game from them. Really good bounce back game. Dak had an amazing game, 25-33, 304 yards, and four touchdowns. Don Schultz had two of those, stat, uh, those touchdowns. Close to 100 yards receiving. Tony Pollard, all, close to 80 yards rushing. But the story with the Cowboys was <laughs> Brent Maher uh, missing. What, four extra points 
uh, just something that you've never seen before. And I don't know if we'll ever see it again, but now it's caused immediate concern for the Cowboys and Cowboys fans alike about their kicking game. About a guy that's been pretty much automatic on extra points. The suddenly in this one game missed four, four in a row. And which it, score probably would have been a little bit different. It would have been, what, 35 to 14? And, you know, it was six to, they scored six in the first quarter and they scored 12 in the second quarter. I mean, if it, if that's not the case, it could have been, what, seven, uh, you know, seven, I got to do my math here. So that's eight, they were up 18 points in going to the halftime. That's honestly still, you know, it's still a three-score game, but not the type of three-score three game you want. You want it to be 21 to nothing instead of 18 to nothing to where, Let's say Bucks score a touchdown, you know, get another touchdown, and maybe they go for two on one of those tries to make it 18-15, and maybe they kick a field goal, or maybe they go for two both times, and they get them, and <laughs> then they kick a field goal to go up. And so it could have been a little bit better for the Cowboys, but well, for what could have been a really good game game for them. You just had your field goal kicker missing extra points. So, not what you want. And for the Bucks, of course, we got the news this morning that Byron left, which is not going to be back next year. And so, they're looking for a new coordinator, as well as I think a lot of teams around the league are. You know, Ravens, speaking, going back to them, they just let go Greg Roman. So, they're in the market for a new coordinator. But again, a lot of these the questions for the Bucks are going to depend on what the GOAT does and uh, if he's going to stay or if he's going to find another opportunity to go and try to win another ring. But uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a minute. But let's talk about the divisional round. Let's talk about that with the Cowboys moving on to facing the 49ers and the divisional weekend is looking like it's setting out to be a really fun weekend with these matchups. Um, and we're going to start with the two games on Saturday and start with the Jaguars and the chiefs. Again, these teams met with met with each other in Arrowhead earlier in the season. And the Jaguars showed, you know, they weren't going to back down from the Chiefs in that game. But, of course, Chiefs end up winning that one. But uh, a little something to take in consideration there for Jacksonville and how they went to, up to Kansas City and weren't backing down from them. Really aggressive there. That's Doug Peterson style right there. But uh, here we are in the divisional round, and that is – Drastically different than a regular season game in which the Chiefs have all this experience. They're on a bye, and they're facing a team that, honestly, 
should have lost if it wasn't for a them wor- working their tails off in the second half and coming back and winning and also at the charger the chargers not blowing it um but here we are and you got a matchup of maybe the best quarterback in the league between in a matchup of a quarterback who was really hot to close in the year one of these last couple of games not so great So the Jacks, of course, they are going to be huge underdogs in this game. You know, it's around eight and a half, nine points. And I'll tell you what, I do think the Jags give the Chiefs a little bit of a fight, but it is Mahomes, Kelsey, Reed, Arrowhead, and probably going to be too much for the Jags to overcome. Again, nobody's going to complain. If they lose here, especially Jacksonville fans, after the season they've had, a season where they were at the bottom of the, close to the bottom of the division, along with the Texans, ended up on top and getting hot and winning the division and winning the playoff game at home in a historic comeback. All in Trevor Lawrence's second season and Doug Peterson's first season coaching him. I don't think any Jaguar fan is going to complain. If they lose this game. Now, if they win this game, oh boy. Or if they at least keep it somewhat close and the Chiefs don't completely shut the door on them. Um, so Jacksonville, even if they lose this game, I think there's a lot to be happy about with this season. Um, but you know, a team I kind of view them as a team that has really nothing to lose. Uh, yeah, sure, that they they play the Chiefs, they'll probably lose and you know, get all the technicalities out the way. But you know what they say about some somebody that has nothing to lose, that they are really dangerous. And maybe that's what can happen here. Maybe that's what the Jacks need to do. Again, Peterson, aggressive coach, willing to make aggressive calls. Maybe go for an onside kick. Maybe call something like the Philly special or, you know, something crazy. So I don't think they have anything to lose, but I do think to be technical here, I do think they lose at Arrowhead to Kansas City. I think it's just going to be too much to go against the Chiefs here at Arrowhead. And I think this is where the Jags season stops as the Chiefs, they move on to the AFC Championship. So give me the Kansas City Chiefs here. I don't know if, you know, looking at the spread, if it's going to be, you know, that. Maybe it is. I could see it being around 10 points. But, you know, yeah, Jags, I think, will keep it somewhat close. But I think the Chiefs will find a way to shut the door on them and win this one. So that's game number one of the divisional round. The first of two on Saturday. And the second game on Saturday, we got the Giants. Going back to Philly this week and facing the Eagles and facing a team in which Jalen Hurts got a little bit of snaps against them in the final week, but not too much. And let me tell you what, I'm not counting the Giants out of this. Um, The Eagles have had a lot of injuries. Um, Lane Johnson, the right tackle, is hurt. 
course, Jalen has been nicked up here and hasn't got a lot of playing time here recently. And the defense for the Eagles hasn't been all that great here down the stretch. So that does give the Giants somewhat of a chance. And again, they almost came back and won that game with, like, not their starters in the last week of the season. They had freaking Davis Webb as the starting quarterback, and Eagles only won 22-16 to in that game. So it wasn't that much of a big win. So I do give the Giants somewhat of a chance here. Again, Dable has done an amazing job. Wink Mardell's done a good job on the defensive side with the guys he's got there. You'll have to see how Daniel Jones does in his second playoff start. Um, I don't know if anything atop what he did in his first start. You hope that Saquon leads this team in rushing this week if the if the Giants do have a chance. And maybe they take advantage of these Eagles injuries. Maybe they're able to get after Hurts a little bit. Uh, for the Eagles, you do have to wonder how much they're going to use Hurts in the running game and let him do his thing and let him do his thing in which he's been really good doing this year and is part of the reason why this Eagles offense has been so good. So you wonder how much they're going to use him. So I'm looking at the line. It's around seven and a half, eight points. You know, I could see this being like a six, seven point type of game. So maybe it's right around that. I will give the Eagles a little bit of an edge here, but NFC East matchup here in the second round. Giants, they got a lot of swagger after uh, what they've been able to do here recently, what Dave Bowl has done with this team. So I do think they play the Eagles tough, but I think the Eagles win in the end. So I think both number one seeds come out on top this week and move on to their respective championship games. So that'll leave us to the Sunday matchups in which you got a rematch of a game that, you know, we didn't really get a whole lot of because of what happened to the more going back to the more, it looks like things are progressing really well again with him. And so that's really good to see. Um, so you got a rematch between the Bengals and bills here. This time the game is at Buffalo. And going back to what we talked about in those two games that these two teams were involved with last week, looking at the Bills and Dolphins, you know, Josh Allen turning the ball over. Bills' whole offense is pre-dedicated on Josh Allen, how he's deployed. And for the Bengals, there is a little bit of a concern here. No Lyle Collins, your right tackle. Looks like no Jonah Williams, your left tackle, who, although wasn't the best at protecting the quarterback, that's still a loss, that's still your left tackle, that's still something to be concerned about. And then with something else that may be questionable, um, Alex Kappa, one of your guards, He's questionable, so you don't know if he is going to play and be able to suit up for the Bengals. 
And so, at the very most, the Bengals could be down three offensive linemen, and we've seen how effective getting after Burrow can be in really changing how the Bengals run their offense. We've seen how effective that can be. We saw it last year, even though the Bengals were still able to make that Super Bowl run. But the lack of the offensive line protecting Burrow was what cost them that Super Bowl, pretty much. And so, if you're down potentially three linemen here, the Bills' defense could get really excited about that, in which they got a lot of guys that, that can rotate in and out and can really try to make Burrow's life difficult for him on Sunday. Now, again, Joe Burrow, he is called Joe Cool for a reason. And he does have all these weapons, and Hurst, and Chase, Higgins, Boyd. He's got all of them. So he, he's going to be fine, but it's just not letting him get hit too much. And also, you got to think about how it affects the running game, too. Uh, how well is Mixon going to do? Pirine. How, how well are they going to do? they're going to do if they potentially don't have three offensive linemen out there? At the very least, they... Uh, They'll have two of them out, their left tackle and right tackle. Now, if you have one of your guards out, that means you, you only got two of your remaining starters out there and your center and your other guard position. So, this could be, and that could be a really big point of emphasis for the Bills this week and keeping an eye on that offensive line situation for the Bengals. But again, we saw the Bengals make a run last year when Burrow got sacked a whole lot. And we saw how, again, he was Joe Cool, stayed calm under pressure, got it to his playmakers on the, on the outside. We'll have to see if he throws it, throws more deep balls this weekend than he did last week. So this one is gonna, this one's honestly a little bit tough for me to pick because honestly for me, this one is a pick em. Um, even with a couple of those issues we mentioned with both these teams, it's five and a half. I could see this being a three-point game, if I'm being completely honest. I could see this being a close game that goes right down to the final few minutes of this game, final five minutes of this game where it's crunch time and somebody's got to make a play. And, hmm. Again, I said this was a pick em. And so I think it all comes down to which of these quarterbacks performs better. And, you know, that's a toss-up as well because of how great they are. But Josh has had his moments where he's looked good and he had that the moment last week when he had three turnovers. So you know what? I think I'm going to say this. I think I'm going to go with the Bills here. I think they win by three at home. And I think they're able to affect Burrow enough to where he's not completely comfortable in there. They get to him some. Even though he is Joe Cool, I think they sack him a few times with the lack of starters on the offensive line. They think that's an issue. The run game doesn't get completely going. I think on either side. If I'm being real, um, the Bills' run game is not that good. All it is is Josh Allen, but I'll take the Bills 
by three. And I believe, again, going back to something that was brought up last week, I think Bills win this one. AFC Championship game would be at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. So, Bills win this one. Both the Bills and Chiefs are heading to Atlanta. But uh, we'll have to see. But this one is shaping up to be a fun one. This one should be two. Cowboys at 49ers. Final game on Sunday between these two teams to figure out who is moving on to the NFC Championship and taking on who I think it's going to be the Eagles. Really compelling game here. Both teams have playoff history with each other. Um, dating back all the way back to the, the glory years. And, you know, facing them for a record-tying ninth time in the playoffs. So there's a lot of history between these two. Uh, 49ers, you can't discount what they've been doing with Proc Purdy. You know, with what they've been doing with, with Purdy in this offense has been incredible. They're putting up points like crazy. And Purdy is pretty accurate for what he's been able to do in this offense. And he's got all these weapons here with McCaffrey, Elijah Mitchell in the backfield, with Ayuk, with Debo, Jennings at receiver. You got Kittle at tight end. You got a really good offensive line in your two booking tackles and McGlinchey and Trent Williams. And then that defense led by probably the guy that's going to win defensive player of the year in Nick Bosa. And they're facing off against the Cowboys team that Looked really good last week against Tampa, but and you and you hope that the extra point misses from Maher are going to come back to into play this week. But the Cowboys, they're really talented too. Of course, Pollard and Zeke, nice one-two punch. Dak, when if he plays like last week, makes the Cowboys extremely dangerous. And then you got some playmakers on the defense, of course, led by Micah Parsons there. On that defense. And right now, San Francisco is favored to win by four in this game. And so this one, I think, is going to be another close one. Again, I think all these games have the potential to be close. I think the widest margin will probably be Chiefs and Jaguars. But again, I think the Jags will keep it somewhat close. Listen, I like what the Cowboys have done. Dak looked incredible last week. I don't know if you're going to get that Dak this week against a vastly superior defense than the one he played against last week. The Bucks defense has just been riddled with injuries all season long and not look like themselves. And they're facing off against a really talented defense this week. And listen, when they're able to do what they did last week and what they've been doing these last few weeks with Purdy at quarterback and with all the weapons on the offense, I, I think it's going to be too tough for the Cowboys to stop. So I'll take the 49ers here, but this one will be a close one. This one will be a really fun watch for all of us. I think we're in for some really good football this week. Visual round. Always a good time with these matchups. So I think we'll be in for a treat this weekend. And if this is the case, then we'll have a matchup between both one and two seeds where 
Chiefs, Bills will meet again, and then we'll have 49ers and Eagles, and which I think if, the, if that's the case, we're going to be in for some fun games on Championship Sunday. And listen, if Bills don't win, we'll still get the Bengals and Chiefs. That's a fun matchup. If we get Eagles and Cowboys, that'll be a really fun matchup. Battle of NFC East foes for chance to go to the Super Bowl. Storylines write themselves for that one. But uh, I think we're in for a fun week here for the divisional round. And uh, we should all get really excited because I think we're getting some really good football this week. So I think final thing before I think we close up here is let's talk about the two quarterbacks we've been kind of hinting at, maybe potentially moving on, leaving uh, their respective teams with uh, Tom Brady and Lamar Jackson. So, you know, let's start with, uh, with Matt's quarterback. Let's start with Lamar and talk about the Ravens here for a second. Been a really curious situation, and Lamar gave a little bit of clarity on that, so thanks, Lamar, for helping us out. But really had no sort of idea about what was going on with these contract negotiations. Was Lamar sitting out because of this or, you know, whatnot? And he posted a cryptic message on social media, and you start to wonder if potentially the door is open where he's going to leave. And listen, if you're the Ravens, and Calais Campbell put it best, you don't let somebody like that go. And I agree, because Lamar is uber-talented. You don't let a guy like that go. But I think if you look at how the Ravens operate, even with Tyler Huntley, they still are somewhat pretty decent. Good defense. You know what you're getting out of them. Physical run game. And all that good stuff. And you got a really good coach at Harbaugh there. And so you maybe do wonder if moving on from him, knowing that you can put a quarterback in there and you, you'll be fine. Maybe you do that. But again, Lamar is uber talented. It's tough to move on from a guy like that. So let's just say, have fun here, hypothetical. Let's say Lamar does leave. What are options out there on the table of where he could go? Well, let's start off with, um, you know, a couple of the obvious ones here. Raiders, I think, probably know. Um, else needs a quarterback, you know. Patriots are probably out. Panthers probably not. You know, I saw somebody throw out, hey, well, if the Texans get Sean Payton and, you know, maybe they find a way to get Lamar Jackson. Like, yeah, that that's reaching a lot. But, man, that, <laughs> that'd be a scary sight. Jaguars thinking, oh, hey, we're on top here. Like, oh, no, here comes Lamar Jackson and Sean Payton. Um, but I think some of the more obvious ones, um, Dolphins, we mentioned them. There's some uncertainty there if Tua is going to be back. Tua did take a lot of good steps this year with Mike McDaniel, but the injury history, it's almost too much to ignore. And so if you're the Dolphins, you add somebody like Lamar. I mean, think about adding him to 
Mike McDaniel's offense, who has got the 49ers type of gene in its in the DNA of this offense, and give a threat at quarterback that can run it, along with whoever you got in your backfield, which by committee, got solid offensive line, and then you add him along with Waddle and Tyreek. I mean, goodness, that's a lot of speed out there on the field at one time. Extremely dangerous. And could really potentially see the Dolphins as a really legitimate threat to challenge the Bills in that division. Um, Another one I've heard mentioned, maybe the Bears. Bears have a lot of cap space. They're an offense that is kind of similar to the Ravens. Bears got a lot of cap space. They got a lot of draft picks. They got a number one pick, and I could probably see them trading out of it and getting more. And so maybe you get somebody like Lamar in here and trade Justin Fields, maybe get something for him. Maybe you do a swap with the Ravens, and they get Fields. Uh, I've seen the Falcons mention. Maybe they can do that. But I think the one that's been primarily mentioned here and will probably be brought up with Brady are the New York Jets. Now, the problem with the Jets is they're they're not overflowed with cap space to sign them to a huge deal, but they need a quarterback. After what's happened this past year with Zach Wilson and Sure, Mike White played well, but Mike White's not your your quarterback of the future. Let's be real here. He's not. And so you're going to need somebody, whether that is a Tom Brady, a Derek Carr, or Lamar. And you think about all these pieces in New York. They've had some excellent drafts here. Their draft this past year was really excellent. Getting Garrett Wilson. Looked like a number one guy. Getting Brees Hall before he got hurt. Looked like a stud at running back. Getting Sauce Gardner. Looked like the best cornerback in all of football this past year as a rookie. And for the Jets, you're probably going to have to pay Quinton Williams, who had an awesome year for them. So you're going to have to potentially sign him to a huge deal. But it would change a, a lot of things for the Jets. And they got a lot of young guys on this roster. They, that, they don't have to pay right away. That if they want to get Lamar on a big deal, they potentially can. And not have to worry about paying some of their younger guys for a couple of years or so. So, honestly, the two AFC East teams are really intriguing if you add Lamar to them. Dolphins and Jets could really change things in that division and can give Sala, the Jets head coach, an awesome quarterback to work with and try to make sure that he doesn't get canned at the end of this year, at the end of uh, 2023. And so I think those are potential options out there for Lamar. Uh, if he does move on from the Ravens, uh, again, they could franchise tag him or they could work out a new deal and you can forget this hypothetical. 
But there's a reason why we're talking about it, even though it's in, in the hypothetical sense. It's got to a point now where you can maybe see something happening. And so, moving on to the Tom Brady side of things. The Jets, I think, are actually a possibility, too. And that you get somebody that's familiar with that organization, play them so many times. Depends on how much you're going to have to pay them. But there's a lot of good young guys on this roster that, again, look like number one guys on this roster. And where maybe you see what's going on with the Dolphins and, like, they decide to keep to it. Well, maybe they Jets add Brady, and that elevates them, and maybe that helps them out big time in the offseason. And going into 2023, building up that offensive line, you got a couple weapons for them. There you go. And you got a really good defense there in the Jets. Going to the Dolphins, we know there's been talk of this potentially happening before. And so maybe it happens this time. He goes to the Dolphins, gets solid offensive line, good run game. You got your weapons there and Hill and Wilson and Waddle. Don't know about tight end. Maybe it sounds like Iseki's going to be moving on this offseason. But solid defense. And, again, knows that team. A return to the Bucks is not out of the question. I mean... Listen, if the Bucs are able to find a way to get healthy, you know, for a majority of the season, the offensive line was riddled with injuries. Ryan Jensen was out for most of the season, played in that playoff game on Monday night. Donovan Smith not been healthy all season long. Tristan Wirfs hasn't been healthy. Lost a couple guys in the offseason in free agency. And need I remind you the Bucs do have two really good weapons in Mike Evans and Chris Godwin have a solid running game and solid options in the running game I should say with Fournette and Rashad White who showed a little bit of something this year and yeah there are some questions on the defense but if you can address them and make there not be so many questions maybe it's an option you're concerned about Levante David you know, is he going to come back? Are you going to resign him? Or, you know, he's getting up there, or is he done? What are you going to do with your cornerbacks, with Jamel Dean and Sean Murphy Bunning and Mike Edwards, your safety? So you got a lot of questions here. But the Bucks are an option if they're able to get their stuff figured out. And, again, they got to find a new offensive coordinator. And so if Brady does want to come back to the Bucks, you can guarantee you he's going to have somebody in mind that he wants for that job, and that the Bucks are going to try and make it happen. But then, the number one option, I, you know, I think again, the more number one options, maybe the Jets here. Number one option, I think, for the Raiders here, for for Brady here, is the Raiders potentially now. Familiar with the head coach and Josh McDaniels, um, we'll have to work up the offensive line, but I think they can do that in the draft. I uh, got a top 10 pick that they can go and take one of those linemen and Broderick Jones, uh, Skarnowski, or Paris Johnson and really help build up there. You got 
a really good nucleus on offense. Resigned Josh Josh Jacobs, who led the league in rushing this year, so you got your running game there. And then you got Devontae Adams, about as good a number one as you can ask for if you're Brady. Got Hunter Renfro. We know Brady likes those type type of guys. And then you got Darren Waller, a stud tight end. And if you need him to, you got Foster Moreau, a solid number two tight end. So you got something there. Um, and the defense, they need to work that up. So I imagine if they do bring in Brady, they are going to work on getting that defense right and getting that offensive line right and putting a lot of resources into making sure both of those are sound this upcoming season, particularly on the defense and that secondary. Get some good cornerbacks. Maybe find a way where you can get guys like Chandler Jones and Max Crosby to actually be able to be a good pass rushing duo like we thought they were going to be. And listen, even in that division, going against guys like Wilson, Herbert, Mahomes, you can't discount, you just can't count out Brady in that division if, he, if he's in there. So I think probably the best option if Tom does go. I think it is probably the Raiders, but there's the other option of, you know, you could just call it a career and hope that we don't have a situation like we did last year. Like, ah, oh, Brady's done. Oh, no, wait, no, he's not. Hold the phone. Um, hopefully we don't get another situation like that uh, this year. And that if he calls it quits, calls it quits, and that's a wrap. Uh, but if not, I think the Raiders are probably uh, the team that would make the most sense in uh, in him going if he does leave Tampa. So just a couple of early offseason tidbits to get us kicked off here before we get knee-deep into the offseason with free agency and the draft and all, all that good stuff. But uh, a little fun, a couple of fun hypotheticals here with uh, a couple of big-name quarterbacks and potentially them moving on next season. So, guys... I think that's where we'll wrap this week's show up. Thank you all for tuning in. As always, really appreciate you spending some time out of your day to listen to this pod. Really appreciate it. Uh, Again, check us out where you guys get your podcasts. Subscribe, give us a rating, review on whichever platform you're on. Same drill with the entertainment channel. Again, potentially something coming with that comic book movie draft in the next couple of weeks or so and trying to get that pod nailed down and out to all you guys and uh looking forward to that whenever that happens so that'll do for us here everybody hopefully you guys have a good rest of your thursday have a good weekend and we'll talk to you all next week